Well, good evening, friends. It's good to be with you. Let's start with, with a word of prayer. Would you pray with me? And God, our Father, we are grateful for this opportunity to gather around your word. God, it's perfect, and it gives life, and we pray that it would do so this evening. And we, we pray that you would be our teacher and that we would be attentive students and that our hearts would be molded and shaped and influenced and educated by your word. God, help us to love your son, Jesus Christ, more as a result of our time together. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. Have your sins ever obliterated your motivation to serve God? Have you ever given in to the temptation to sin and thought, well, there it went. My last hope for eternal life. I just threw it away. There's no way God's keeping me in his family now. I've sinned too much. Or maybe do you struggle with the thought that after you sin, God just hates you now and only begrudgingly extends forgiveness to you because he's hamstrung by his promises and he, he really wishes that he wouldn't have made them toward you. If you resonate with any of these scenarios, I have a word of encouragement for you this evening. There is a remedy for your ailments. But first, let's read our verse together and just consider some context before we dive in. If you would, open your copy of God's Word to 1 Samuel chapter 12, verse 20. 1 Samuel 12, verse 20. My Bible reads this way. And Samuel said to the people, Do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. I'll read it one more time. Samuel said to the people, do not be afraid. You have done all this evil. Yet do not turn aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. So a brief reminder, going into our text today, Israel has a godly leader named Samuel, right? He was the last of the judges of Israel. Israel had God as their king, and he had successfully led them, blessed them, been gracious to them. However, when the military threat of the Ammonites comes, what does Israel do? Is it to just continue loving, trusting, serving, obeying the Lord, who's never once failed them? No. In fact, they reject God as their king. They reject his leadership and demand a human king to rule over them so that they can be just like the nations around them. This rejection of Yahweh's leadership as their king is, in Samuel's words, a great wickedness. He says that in chapter 12, verse 17. In other words, Israel, God's chosen people, have utterly and willfully sinned against God. They have messed up. They've committed grievous sins against the Lord, even calling for him to give up his very throne as their king. They have forgotten his goodness, his patience, his strength. And what's God's response? Is it to give them what they deserve? No. 
we see in our verse this evening, nothing short of pure, mysterious, majestic grace from our God towards sinners who deserve punishment. If you're looking for a main idea from our verse this evening, this is it. Christian, when you sin, don't be afraid, but gladly serve the Lord. That's it. Christian, when you sin, don't be afraid, but gladly serve the Lord. That sentence is going to serve as the structure for the rest of our time this evening. We're just going to walk through that sentence. It's going to be four short points. Christian, when you sin, don't be afraid, gladly serve the Lord. That's our outline. That's point number one. Christian, we've got to start by identifying who this verse is actually intended for, right? The treasures noted in this verse are only able to be withdrawn by those who are, who are united to Christ. People who have peace with God. This verse isn't expressing some lax universalism. It's not saying that, you know, we all sin and that's okay. You know, God isn't going to grade too harshly. Yes, you've done all these evil things, but just keep following the Lord. Everything's going to work out. This isn't that at all. No, friends, you ought to be confounded by Samuel's words to Israel here. It would be totally wrong to read the first sentence of our verse and think that you should be anything other than very much afraid of God if you sinned against him and you're convinced of his holiness. That ought to produce fear, right fear. How do I know that? Verses 17 to 19, the verses preceding our verse, show us in Israel's own example. I'll read 17 to 19. Is it not wheat harvest today? I will call upon the Lord, this is Samuel, that he may send thunder and rain, and here's the purpose, and you shall know and see that your wickedness is great, which you've done in the sight of the Lord and asking for yourselves a king. So Samuel called upon the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day, and all the people greatly feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said to Samuel, pray for your servants to the Lord your God that we may not die. For we have added to all our sins this evil to ask for ourselves a king. What we see here in these verses before our verse is the proper understanding of our sin. In these verses we see all the necessary components that are required of anyone who would receive grace. So, my non-Christian friend in the room, my unbelieving friend in the room, I'd like to share with you from this text what you must do to be saved. This is going to inform the entire rest of our time this evening. If you're not saved, this verse does not, and the promises in this verse do not apply to you. So look at verses 17 to 19. Verses 17 to 18 show us that sin is serious and it's deserving of punishment. It's not something that God just looks over or brushes under the rug. If you don't understand there to be a problem with you and your life, you'll have no use and no interest in God's solution to that problem. Verses 18 and 19 show us that recognition of sin and confession of sin are necessary for salvation. And that these two things, when they come together, always result in crying out to God for mercy. 
It's not enough to be convinced of your sin. You must earnestly desire to repent and receive mercy and grace from God. Interestingly, verse 19 shows us that for God's anger to be put aside, we must have a suitable mediator. This is Samuel for Israel, but friends, today we have God the Son mediating with God the Father on behalf of all who trust in him. It's amazing. Verse 20, our verse. Amazingly shows us that God, even though we've sinned and committed treason and rejected his authority, mysteriously he bids us to not be afraid, but to serve him with our whole hearts. And what ground does he give us so that we might have full assurance of faith? Look at verse 22. It's the ground of his argument here. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake. Because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. What Mike taught us at the beginning of his sermon this morning applies to us tonight as well. You can't apply the truths of our verse tonight to yourself without first being born again. The promises in this verse are for Christians. So friend, if you're here and you've not recognized, confessed, and repented of your sin, prostrated yourself before God, I plead with you, do not leave tonight without talking to the Christian friend that you maybe came with or your Christian neighbor who you know or any member of this church who's in this room. It would be our privilege and our highest honor to talk to you about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we want more than anything is for someone to say, will you tell me about Christ? Don't leave tonight without doing that. So friends, we're talking about how Christians ought to respond when they wrestle and give in to the temptations of the flesh and the devil, how ought Christians respond when they blow it? Here's our second point. When you sin, Christian, some of you, myself included, need no help in recognizing that you're a sinner. You're acutely aware of it every morning. Your heart is cold and it takes hours and hours for your heart to even be made warm, let alone made happy in the Lord. You're quick to anger. You're slow to show grace. You're quick to cast blame. You're slow to receive correction. You're quick to slander and you're slow to honor God. And that's within the first hour of being awake. Others of you in the room, myself also included in this group, might do well to be reminded of your sinfulness from time to time. Right? You're spiritually aloof. You've become completely comfortable with grace. And even think of yourself as a rightful recipient of grace. Of course I received grace. I mean, look at me. <laughs> you look down on others who struggle with public sins while you nurse your personal sins in private. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, just know and be confident that God's word says that all have sinned 
and fallen short of God's glory. And that all of our good deeds, the ways that we try to justify ourselves, they're all filthy rags. So what's the first thing we do when we sin as Christians? I'd argue that the first thing you ought to do is to repent. The first thing you ought to do is repent. But here's an important distinction. And it's something that our verse helps us see. Repentance is not self-pity. Repentance is not groveling before God for a certain amount of time until you reach whatever that threshold is to say, okay, finally he's forgiven me. God does not delight in half-hearted, overly drawn-out groveling sessions focused on how much worldly sorrow and, and shiny language can I muster up. No, friends, he delights in those with a broken and contrite heart who earnestly plead his forgiveness and seek to correct ways that there are patterns of sin in their life. 1 John 1, 8-9 says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's straightforward. And knowing that the Lord ready stands to forgive all of our sins, this allows us to fulfill the calling of this verse, the admonition of this verse, namely to no longer be afraid, even after we've done evil, but to agree with God, yes, that we are sinful, and also to accept willingly his forgiveness in Christ, thus giving him honor. Was it Sibs that said, he's more ready to forgive you for your sin than you are even to sin? So, point three, don't be afraid. If you're in Christ and you've felt conviction over sin and you've repented of your sin, God's own name is at stake to keep you. Don't be afraid. How can we know for sure that we need not fear, right? Look at the ground of the section again, verse 22. For the Lord will not forsake his people for his great name's sake, because it has pleased the Lord to make you a people for himself. What's a Christian's confidence in their forgiveness? Because God has taken his own perfect holy name and has tied it to you if you're in Christ. If you fall, his name falls. If you're lost to sin, his name is tarnished. And friends, that's the last thing in the universe that will happen. unthinkable that God's name would ever fall. It's equally as unthinkable that your salvation would fall because of your sin if it has been covered by Christ. Let's consider a New Testament passage that I think helps us understand why we don't need to be afraid of condemnation as those who are united with Christ. Back to 1 John chapter 2 verses 1 and 2. He says, my Little children, I'm writing you these things so that, what? This is God's will for your life, that you might not sin. 
I'm writing you these things so that you might not sin. What's the next word? But if you do sin, when you do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. And he is our propitiation. He's a propitiation for our sins, not ours only, but those of the entire world. First, we see that sin is to be avoided. This verse isn't a license for you to continue sinning. But if you do sin, this is comfort for you. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. That word advocate means defense attorney. Someone who comes alongside to help in times of trouble. Someone to plead your case before the judge. Jesus Christ stands as our lawyer before God the Father as judge. Pleading our case. And friends, he's showing receipts in his own hands for you. He's provided ample evidence of a paid fine with the gash that's in his side. He can point to it and say, yeah, their sin is paid for. To charge those who've been united to Christ for their crimes would in fact be double jeopardy. It would be unlawful. Since Christ has paid for every failing and the Father will not leave us or forsake us for his great namesake, that leaves us with only one response. That's our fourth point. To gladly serve the Lord. I'd like to leave you this evening with an encouragement. If you're a regenerated New Covenant Christian who has been indwelt by the Holy Spirit of God, you can, though imperfectly, obey God and do His will. The Holy Spirit resides in you and has made you able through giving you a new heart. He's made you able to resist sin and love God and love others. So, when you continue to fail and sin, which you will until you die or the Lord returns, I would urge you to take those steps that are in accordance with repentance, pluck out your eye, cut off your hand, do what you must. But don't do so alone. Find a brother or sister in this church to meet with, even this week. I would encourage you to do that. So that you can confess your sin, you can be held accountable to one another, and you can work out your salvation in fear and trembling together. For God has saved us from our sins. And he's placed us together in this church for a unique purpose. So that we might have co-laborers and fellow sojourners in our march toward heaven. Christian, when you sin, don't be afraid. But gladly serve the Lord. Let's pray together.
God our Father, what marvelous, matchless grace you have bestowed on all of those who belong to your Son, Jesus Christ. We are criminals. We've committed heinous deeds. But through the sacrifice of your Son, Jesus Christ, we have been washed white as snow. We thank you, Lord, for the for the verse that we've studied tonight, God, that even though we have committed a great evil, you're able to bid us to not be afraid. God, help us this week that we would learn to love you, to be in awe of you, and to seek you as our counselor and our teacher all the days of our life until you return. It is in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray. Amen.